questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Over 20 years ago, a group of individuals from several different worlds gathered at a discrete location in our solar system, near Earth, for the purpose of observing the alien intervention that is occurring in our world. From their hidden vantage point, they were able to determine the identity, organization, and intentions of those visiting our world and monitor the visitors' activities. This group of observers call themselves the Allies of Humanity. This is what the late Jim Mars said about Allies of Humanity. Quote, I was greatly impressed with the Allies of Humanity because the message rings true. Radar contacts, ground effects, videotape and film all prove the UFOs are real. Now we must consider the real question, the agenda of their occupants. The Allies of Humanity forcefully confront this issue, one which may prove critical to the future of humankind." Unquote. Greetings, I'm your host, Mel Fabregas at Veritas Radio. If you want to listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. I always love to hear from you. And to discuss the briefings, the questions, and the answers, tonight's special guest is Reed Summers. Reed is the son of Marshall Vion Summers, who is the prophet and messenger for a divine revelation regarding humanity's emergence into universe of intelligent life and the hidden reality of contact taking place in the world today. For over 12 years, Reed has been working with Marshall as a teacher and representative for this divine revelation over the Allies of Humanity briefings, a revolutionary set of texts which reveal the secret agenda of those ET forces present in our world and provide a clear picture of what these forces are, why they are here, and what they are doing at this critical time on Earth. The website is alliesofhumanity.org, and Reed Summers joins us directly from Boulder, Colorado. Hello, Reed, and welcome to Veritas. Hello there, Mel. Thank you for having me on the show. Well, I'm glad to have you. You've been suggested to me by a number of our listeners. I saw a number of your interviews, and I thought this would be a critical interview just because many reasons. Have you seen these disclosure attempts, so-called disclosure attempts, we've seen on TV lately? Just a, a quick a quick parenthesis before we begin our interview. Have you seen those? Yes, I have. If you're, if you're talking about the... Uh... Stories broke by the New York Times back in December. Correct. Yes. Your opinion on, on that before we begin? Well, I think, you know, we all know that the government has long been involved in trying to negotiate contact, uh, either um, beneficially or not, in the background, behind the scenes. And um, it's no surprise that that information has come out. Uh, it's certainly... A positive step in the direction of in the direction of raising awareness in in the world and in this country about contact. But um, once again, you know, it's a partial release of some information that really doesn't indicate. Um, I feel the key things that we need to know about who is in our world and why. And so it's positive. It's a positive step. It's exciting to see more people become aware that we may not be alone in the universe or even within our own world. Um, but the education, the public education regarding contact and the deeper questions regarding it is something, really something else. And, and that's really where I hope to go with you today. Absolutely. We'll go everywhere today. But first, the Allies of Humanity, an urgent message about the extraterrestrial presence in the world today. What is this? When did it happen and how? Certainly. So the Allies of Humanity briefings are a set of documents uh, revealed to my father, Marshall Vion Summers. And um, I can kind of tell the story about how they came to be. It's quite an amazing story. I can only encapsulate it, really. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of start start big, and then we can go into the briefings themselves and talk about what they what they specifically say about who is visiting our world and why. For over 34 years, my father has been engaged in a process of receiving a divine communication for our world, which reveals 
the great evolutionary step our world is taking as it emerges into a larger universe of intelligent life. And with that, the great environmental crises of this time and what humanity specifically needs to do to navigate these challenges and emerge into the universe as a free and sovereign world. This divine revelation is called the new message from God. And it's been uh, many decades now that Marshall has been in the process of receiving it. That process began uh, in approximately the year 1983 and continues to this day. This vast revelation that really opens up a new panorama of human experience surrounding the reality of contact and our future in the universe. The Allies of Humanity briefings are a set of documents that my father received alongside this revelation experience. Um, the Allies of Humanity first made contact with Marshall in the year 1984 and actually came within the vicinity of our Earth in 1985 and attempted to deliver um, a set of um, revelations to him. Now, this was made possible by the angelic presence that Marshall was in communication with for so many years before that point. This angelic presence actually signaled to Marshall that in addition to the divine revelation he would receive, he would also in all likelihood be receiving another form of communication. And this would be from a group of off-planet observers representing free worlds in our vicinity of space coming to the earth to bring awareness and warning to humanity regarding the threshold of contact that we are facing and our future in the universe in which we live. And so in 1985, um, Marshall was taking retreat in a quite remarkable part of the country uh, with his wife, Patricia, and with me. Uh, I I think I was nine months old or something at that point. And we were way out there, way out on the edge of a very strange experience, uh, way out on the edge of the known for us. And Marshall uh, was being contacted via the angelic assembly, by these allies of humanity, these physical beings who had made this journey to earth really to provide a gift of perspective and warning to humanity. And even at that time, um, the reality of what the allies called the intervention was active in our world, very active. And the intervention really is the grave reality that the allies came to warn us about. It is visitation by a set of economic collectives here in our world to take advantage of humanity and gain access to the resources of Earth. This the Allies call the intervention. The intervention became aware that the Allies of Humanity were in the vicinity of the Earth, were trying to deliver these briefings to Marshall. And in fact, at that time, this first mission of the Allies of Humanity was discovered and was partially destroyed, and the rest scattered. It was a very extremely difficult experience for Marshall, who had been preparing to make this contact for such a long time. And it was indicated to Marshall that it would take um, up to 13 years for a second mission from the Allies of Humanity to be gathered and organized and to reach the Earth one more time. And so in the ensuing years after that, Marshall continued to receive the revelation of the new message from God. He continued to teach about the consequence of our emergence into a universe of life and the universal spiritual tradition and practice, which will enable people of all religions in our world to make that great step out into a larger universe. Marshall continued that process. And then it was in the night in the year 1996 that the allies of humanity made contact with him again. And in the following year began to deliver what you will now find to be the first book of the allies of humanity briefings the first of a number of sets of briefings that have been given in the years since. So it's a big story, um, but in a nutshell, that's that's how the Allies briefings came to be. I'm going to refer to your father as you, not you per se, but just for the simplicity, when I quote something from the book, I'm going to say you say, but I'm really referring to Marshall. Sure. The visitors constitute profound, a profound threat to human freedom. Can you explain what constitutes this profound threat to human freedom? Oh, certainly. So the allies of humanity have really come uh, to the vicinity of the earth to warn us about what will be first contact between humanity and off-planet intelligences. And they signal many things here. 
they signal that contact really is um, our first step out into the universe. It, it is forcing us out into that universe, not on our timeline, but on the timeline of the visitors who are here. It says that our first contact will be primarily with economic forces and collectives who have made the long journey to Earth for their own reasons. They're not here to serve us or to help us or to rescue us. They're here because of the immense biological value of the Earth, the strategic position of the Earth in our local universe, and the possibility that humanity could ultimately in time become part of their collective, that they could integrate with us and that we would become uh, both a workforce and an asset in their larger collective beyond our world. Goes without saying, this is the biggest event in human history, that contact is actually happening and that it is not contact of a beneficial form. It is contact with resource explorers, with economic powers. And this is what the allies say when they, they say that contact constitutes a threat. We are a divided planet of hundreds of nations, thousands of tribes, many religions. We are in contention over nearly every possible aspect of human life that we could be. Um, we are distracted. Um, we are rooted in the past and, and so forth. And, and so as a world, we are unprepared to make first contact with another form of intelligent life. We have no central leadership. Uh, we are burning through our self-sufficiency in the world with each passing day. And yet contact is now happening. And I can talk about why, according to the Allies, contact is happening and how it's different than the forms of ancient contact that may have occurred in millennia, over the millennia in the past. Um, but in essence, the threat is that we are a divided people, the native peoples of a world that is valued by other powers in our local universe. Our isolation is over. Contact has begun. And we are coming into contact with economic powers who have their own agenda for being in our world and are using our religious beliefs, our spiritual aspirations, our political divisions to gain access to different types of people in different types of, in different ways, ultimately with the goal of gaining access to the earth and its resources and humanity. So that is the threat as described in the Allies of Humanity briefings. I'm always thinking of this possible, I don't want to call it an invasion, but let's say incursion. Mm -hmm. I think of the 15th century European incursion into the Americas. Can we, can we equate this to a 21st century incursion? You know, I think of the indigenous population. They were mesmerized with them and, and they considered them as gods or, or messengers of God at, at the least. We know the rest. So true, Mel. That, that, that historical record uh, here on Earth is such an important guide for us as we begin to navigate contact because we may want to project our hopes and wishes that the visitors are enlightened, that they're scientists or explorers, or that they can help us with our problems here on Earth. But we have to start with a fundamental truth, which is that contact is nature. This is a natural event. And in nature, certain truths hold, at least across all organisms here on this planet, that there is competition for resources, that there is competition for territory, and that survival is a challenge, no matter what your technology. And so that we would hope and think that the first visitors to come would be enlightened or would be fulfilling our prophecies or, you know, well, if they haven't destroyed us, they must be here for our good. These are the assumptions of the native peoples who have lived in isolation. Those were the assumptions, as you said, of the natives of the new world in the 15th century and beyond. And they projected some, their various prophecies and beliefs, uh, their value systems of sharing and equanimity and balance onto those forces visiting their world with devastating consequences. And, you know, I think about it often. I think about the history of intervention in the human historical record and how it is, it is so clear and overwhelming, the result of intervention, regardless of the intervener, the period in history, the native people in question, it is an almost universal result. And the failure there is really of the natives to step back and see 
that though these beings do come across the horizon of the known world, they come from the unknown, they actually have an intent and an agenda that can be discerned and that must be seen for what it is and responded to and that the native peoples do have the right of their own land and that they must defend themselves. Uh, so there, there is a fundamental mistake there. And, um, you know, people often say to me or to Marshall, well, okay, that was Earth, but we're talking about the universe. There, there could be enlightened beings that don't match the historical record here or that, you know, just operate in ways that we're not used to. And certainly the universe, I'm sure, has vast expressions of both beneficial and negative intent by various types of entities. Um, but in essence, we have tall ships, you know, anchored off the shoreline. And yes, they are flying different flags. They appear to be different in nature. But in essence, we can't assume just because there are beneficial ET races in the universe that, you know, one of those four ships anchored off the coast has to be good. No, in fact, they're all here for similar or the same reasons. They may even be the same forces flying different flags. Um, so this is very important under to understand. And we have this this record of, an, of intervention in our history. We have our understanding of nature. We have a rational basis from which to begin to look at contact. And it's very dismaying to me when I see people leap to errant uh, conclusions that those visiting our world are here for our good, that because they haven't taken over the world yet, they must be here for our good, or that because they have the technology to travel vast distances in space, they must have transcended conflict and division in their own worlds. Blanket assumptions, very dangerous ones, because when you step back and look at the phenomena, you know, we have discernible events taking place in our world that are possibly of extraterrestrial origin. We have craft in our skies. We have the disabling of military systems. We have human abduction. We have uh, implants and other things being put inside of people. We have animal mutilation. We have a, a spectrum of phenomena that in no way indicate beneficial intent, that in no way have garnered our consent, and in, in essence bring us to one conclusion, which is that there is an intruder in our home, that we did not grant permission to enter our home, and they are manipulating elements of our home. They're manipulating us. They're taking people. They're altering people. This is happening. And so I urge people to start from the beginning in understanding this and not leaping to a conclusion or a preferred outcome um, and looking at the phenomena and starting with what is clear and quite obvious, which is we are dealing with off-planet intelligences. They are here for their own purposes. They seem eager and highly willing to violate humanity's natural boundaries and safety, security, and they are not disclosing their presence. They are working with various groups and entities and government and commerce in ways that the people of the world have no access, we have no way to access um, an understanding of what that activity is. So that would be the starting point that the allies of humanity advocate. We're going to use the word discernment throughout the interview, because I think that's a very powerful word to apply to, to this topic. And also, let me stay here for the, the conquistadors parallels yeah. just for a moment. If the Europeans came here for, and we know that this is true, they came here for power, for resources, and for dominion. With such a vast universe, how could we even discern of the possible intention, good or bad, that, ex that an extraterrestrial or interdimensional group of beings may present to us? Well, great keyword, discernment, and we have to rely on our discernment. We can't let our discernment down or let our guard down, even if it's a, a spiritual, spiritually inspired uh, belief that we have around that. We have to be discerning. We are the natives of this world. This is our world. And, um, so with that in hand, we can begin to look at a number of things. We can look at the phenomena, as I said. What are the observable activities of potentially off-planet forces in our world? That's one source of, of, of evidence. Um, we can look at the kind of messaging that they themselves are generating. 
both in religious and in spiritual circles, because they are not passive. They are active in promoting certain belief systems and certain opinions about their presence. That's very discernible. Um, and beyond that, I think we should have a grounded, reasonable, and somewhat cautious approach to any who would come to our world, knowing that, again, this is a world of 7 billion people, uh, of hundreds of nations. We are divided, we are vulnerable, and we are not ready for contact. We are not ready to make contact with another form of intelligent life because, well, for example, they would po- they would promise power and dominion to one nation, and that nation would use that over another. They would introduce technology that would be used for weapons or for economic supremacy. You can't really reach this world because this world um, is divided and has its own work to do. You know, we have a lot to do as the natives to prepare for contact. Um, but that said, I do want to say that the allies present a picture of life in the universe that is highly inspiring. It taps deep into our sense of destiny, of even ancient heritage and memory in this greater community of life. They confirm that the greater community is our destiny. This is the next great step we are meant to take. This is potentially the one great event that could end human conflict in the world and that could cause us to rally to heal the environment of the world. Um, We are one people on a finite planet facing a universe of intelligent life. And the power of that to both inspire the kind of human, positive human action that's needed, but also to activate this deeper awareness within us, which is we know we are more than just of a human kind. We know we are connected to the greater fabric of life in the universe. That's where we're headed. But we need to not confuse that with those forces to show up on our shore today or tomorrow. We, we need to be discerning as we step out into this larger panorama of life. Um, because there's what we want contact to be, and then there's what is. There is reality, and they're not the same. And if we want to play around with the phenomenon and make an entertainment industry out of it or just consume more information, make more connections, well, we're, we're chasing our wants and desires, unaware of what those are. Uh, or do we want to treat this as a great natural event facing the human species that we must responsibly approach and navigate and move through so that we can become a participant in a larger universe. Can you discuss some of the prevailing assumptions and the tendencies regarding the possibility and the reality of contact? I think this would be very important. Oh, certainly. Oh, there's some, there's so much. Um, and I'll, I'll touch on a few. Um, but there's certainly a belief that if they haven't, if they wanted the world, they would have come and taken it by now. And clearly they have not done so. And therefore they must have other beneficial intent intent. I hear this all the time. I actually attended a lecture by Stephen Greer probably 10 or 12 years ago and stood up in the audience and asked him, is it possible that there is a negative intent on behalf of those visiting our world, given the phenomena, given what we're observing in human abduction and many other, you know, phenomena. And his response was, well, you know, if they wanted the world, they would have come and taken it by force. And they haven't done that. And so there must be a different intent. He brushed that aside. He brushed the allies of briefings aside, actually, at a later date. And this is this indicates that there is a lack of critical thinking by those who even are at the forefront of this field, that they would dismiss the very real possibility of a negative intent to leap to positive intent so immediately and with such fervor indicates a complete lack of critical thinking on the matter. And I, I can break down that, that argument. I mean, if, if they wanted the world, they would have come and taken it. Well, what do they want? Do they want a charred earth? Do they want tracts of uninhabited land? No, they're here for biological wealth. They're here for humanity as a human workforce and as participants in their collectives. They want us. So if that's what they want, well, then what would taking the world mean? Certainly wouldn't be a military invasion. You're certainly not going to go up against 7 billion humans, especially if you're a small expeditionary force a long, long way from your you know, supply lines. 
they're, they're not going to do that. They're going to do something that integrates their presence into our awareness, that wins hearts and minds, that promotes belief systems that welcome intervention. And that's precisely what they're doing. And so this, this claim that, you know, if they wanted the world, they would have taken it. Well, I would say they do want the world and they are taking it. They're just taking it in ways that we wouldn't take it. We being more warlike than them. They're just doing it in more intelligent ways. So not to mix be, this with, I don't mean to interrupt you, but not to mix this with science fiction, but how far is this from the V concept? If you remember the TV series V, where they had the ambassadors, they took people from leadership roles to, to try to assimilate the population that their, their being, the beings were benevolent when in fact they were not. Yeah, well... You know, it's it's interesting that that those storylines find their ways into our film and our consciousness. Uh, I don't know where they come where they come from specifically, if they're arising naturally or not. But I, I vaguely remember that that TV series, and it could be something similar to that. Although I think really where we have to go is is into a greater understanding of how influence is cast. You know, influence is cast not by um, overt and ridiculous, you know, means it's done in more subtle means. And the allies of humanity present this picture very clearly. The allies of humanity say that we live in a mental environment and that in the universe, technological parity has been achieved by trading powers who can basically take each other's technology, copy it, so forth. So where power is gained by a single race over another is more in the mental environment than in the physical. It's in the environment of thought. And there are ways, both technological and simply through the concentration of mind or group mind, to influence thought. And this really is the major power of the intervention. Uh, they are not here as a military force. They're not here with great numbers. They know if we didn't want them here, they couldn't be here. It would be that simple. So where they're placing their focus is on influence um, and influence in the mental environment. And this is one of the four key activities of the intervention, which I can talk about a little bit later. This key activity is what the Allies call the pacification program. It is an attempt to establish certain bases in the world from which they can project thought forms and basically trigger and stimulate thought and emotion in human populations. Uh, sculpting the human response as they wish in ways that benefit them. So in that sense, it might be similar to, uh, you know, a lot of the TV and, and movies that depict intervention, but it's much more sophisticated than that. The observers, are they, and I hate, I hate to equate this to, to science fiction once again, but that, are they instigating, and that's even a bad word to use, instigating a fifth column here on Earth to try and prevent this from happening? Sure. Well, the allies of humanity, I should maybe back up and just make that a little bit clearer who they are. They are physical beings. Um, they are a small group of observers representing certain free worlds in our local universe who do not want to see humanity fall under the persuasion of the intervention and become a client state in the universe, basically. They know we have great um, assets as a people, both in our spirituality in our emphasis on freedom and individual expression, and they want to see that preserved. On the other hand, they are not capable of launching an expedition to save us or to thwart the intervention, and they explain why. There's a number of reasons why. They are here instead to advise. They are here to inform, advise, and offer perspective that we could not have simply because we are on the surface of this planet and they are not. And that's precisely what they've done in their, in their sets of briefings. They also say that there really is no way for anyone to come and save humanity. Okay. Again, a world of billions of people divided, contentious. How would you save that world? And this is what I would ask those who believe that contact does represent salvation of an enlightened force. How would that enlightened force ever save us? You know, Half of the people the world would resist it no matter how it was done. It would cause tremendous conflict between humans and so forth. You can't take an emerging world such as ours and just accelerate its development and just put it at the pinnacle of achievement. 
that race has to deal with its own problems. It has to be empowered to find native solutions and not to accept foreign introduced solutions that engender dependency, either technologically or emotionally or however. And so the allies of humanity are here in that spirit. They're here to empower us, saying we have everything we need, both to address the challenges of life on Earth, to end the intervention, and to bring our world into a greater state of collaboration and unity, and to really step out into the greater community of life and become a participant, a wise participant there. We have everything we need. We have all the solutions. We even have the level of disclosure we need. And this is something we can talk about, which is people are yearning for disclosure, um, and they get it every now and then in little tiny bits and pieces in a very controlled release. And yet the Allies of Humanity briefings, they that is disclosure, disclosure of the ET presence. And that is the disclosure we need. We can't be sitting back waiting for the, you know, the deep state or certain elite powers to reveal tidbits of data and information on, you know, agreements made and contracts signed between human ET powers, you know, decades ago. That actually would not affect what we do now, both as individuals and as a human family regarding contact. We have what we need, which is disclosure of the ET intent and a direct pathway of preparation and action that would bring an end to the intervention. And so the allies come in that spirit. They're not, they're not a saving force. Um, they know that we have to be empowered to find, again, native solutions to Earth-based problems. And just like in the case of the native uh, tribes and nations of North America, Central South America, you know, no foreign power, whether it be spiritually enlightened or not, can save them from the larger economic and political powers that seek to influence and ultimately dominate. The native peoples have to be rallied. You use the term client state. When I read the book, I call it a slave state, which is what seems what they want. But isn't that exactly what happened? Again, I hate to continue going back to the conquistadors, mm -hmm. but yeah. they not only did they create a slave state of all these islands and even the, the Americas and the natives, but they inflicted genocide on the population. How do we know that they, these beings, and I know we're going to talk about inbreeding and the work of Dr. David Jacobs and so on. Why would they need inbreeding when they could actually gas the entire planet and take over themselves? Okay. Well, no, it, uh, valid questions, valid questions. And, and I think the record of history will be helpful here. Um, the allies state very clearly that our world is a gem in the universe. Biologically, however, it is a it is a world that cannot be inhabited by just anyone. You know, th there is a biological shield that surrounds this planet of you know organisms, bacteria, viruses that prevent non-human entities from taking up residence here, especially those who have dwelled in space for long periods of time in sterile environments. And so, the visitors can't just live here. They can't just gas the planet and inhabit this place. In fact, they have waited until humanity became united enough and developed its infrastructure sufficient that they could tap into that infrastructure and, again, use us as the, as the locals who are adapted to this environment to extract the resources they want and become a supplier in a long supply chain out in the universe of rare and precious materials and resources. So, again, their intent, and, and people have to understand, is not to take over the planet and wipe us out. Their intent is to take over control and use humanity and integrate humanity into what they have already established because we are potentially useful participants in that bigger picture beyond our world. So um, that's an important thing to know. Um, and, you know, with this, the, the native record is, is so important. The record of intervention shows that one of the key tasks of an intervention is to degrade the native people's sense of reality, is to disorient them, uh, to teach them that up is down and down is up and the earth is flat and whatever else. Basically to disorient them from their own sense of history and culture and their own leadership as well. And uh, to, to basically um, disavow, for people to disavow their own leadership. And this is how intervention begins to displace a very strong native presence and supplant it with their own.
And this is in fact occurring. And you can see it all over spiritual circles and even in the UFO community itself. Basically, um, people turning against the mainstream culture, saying it's controlled, it's fear-based, it's there's a global elite that determines everything, um, and and we need to pull in and you know join with other forces who may not be human. This is basically pulling people off of Main Street reality and sending them down the dark corridor, where they can be controlled even more further than they think. And and so I see this happening. I see a lot of conspiracy theories being generated by the chief conspirator, which is the intervention. I mean, that's the big conspiracy. There are human conspiracies that couple with it, that benefit from it. But, you know, there is a, there is a chief conspirator and, and their, their intent is to generate a smokescreen that prevents us from seeing, um, their presence clearly and calling out their activities and instead focusing on each other. And here again, intervention seeks to focus the native peoples on one another to pit them against their own leaders, to create conflict in their own environment where they can cherry pick um, basically those they want as part of the intervention's regime change. And there is a regime change going on. And one of the areas of the intervention, the hybridization program, is part of that. It makes me wonder sometimes, Reed, if religion is being replaced by technology. And this is why I say this. Let's say that a group of extraterrestrial beings were to come here saying, we're going to give you technology. We're ahead of you by two billion years. We have cures for disease. We can create peace. Of course, those are things that resonate probably with most people on this planet. Technology, is it becoming a belief system now? Mm -hmm. Artificial intelligence. And this could be one of those curves that they're throwing at us in order to confuse us. Oh, my gosh. Well, the Allies say that uh, faith in technology is nearly a religion in the greater community. And you understand why. I mean, survival in worlds far less hospitable than ours, um, trade between other intelligences that don't think like you at all, uh, travel over vast distances. It's a challenging environment of space. And so survival is not easy. And technology has been uh, the key to the survival and even the seeding of intelligence in so many worlds that are not very hospitable. So it's, it's understandable why technology is so important in the greater community. Um, but here in our world, it is becoming something of a religion and a fixation, but in ways and in ways that, that are excessive. You know, we believe that technology solves all problems when in fact it creates new problems. We believe technology liberates us from the limits of growth. Well, actually, technology creates the need for resources and you've got to go find them. And so technology, though important, can become a slippery slope down which the native people slide. And it's unfortunate, um, our, our susceptibility to that, because the intervention, what they're doing is they're reaching out to certain powers, political and commercial, and they're making promises. And the promises they're making are for power, for wealth, and for spiritual enlightenment. Three things, the three inducements that humanity is so susceptible to. And along the lines of power, they're introducing to some groups the offer of technology, which to us is just remarkable. We have to have it. It could do this, that, and the other. Whereas to them, this is pretty rote, mundane stuff out in the local universe. This is not cherished technology. This is maybe things to do with propulsion, um, other, other forms of technology that we don't have that we would love to have. And so who can resist that? Who would not sell out the keys of this world to a trinket for a trinket from space that they think would give them either amazing economic wealth or supremacy? And uh, and so the inducements are there. And uh, I think as the natives and, and the allies really call for this, we have to stop and think, what really makes us strong? You know, What really leads to advancement? in a human, you, me, anyone, um, what brings us together and makes us stronger as a world or creates, you know, a greater state of unity? Is it technology? Is it really? Because we can look out on the world and see what technology is doing. Again, you know, we have a world of 7 billion sentient life forms to observe, to know what life is like in the universe, you know, to some extent. And that's called Earth. 
just like solar physicists study the sun because it is a star and it is remarkably close to us. They study the sun to learn about stars. Well, we should study our own history and the demonstration of nature on Earth to understand life in the universe as well. And what we're finding with technology is that technology leads to certain forms of addictive behavior. Uh, it disassociates people from their connection to nature and to one another. It does not amplify a state of relatedness to another human being. So the allies compel us to put us, uh, you know, a, a hard stop on the level of technology we think we need and that we want and to focus us really on the, the, the fundamental strength building that we need as a people. And here they call upon the spiritual power within people, what they call knowledge, and which has many names in the world, gnosis, gut knowing, you know, intuition, many different names in many different traditions. But this fundamental reality that we have a spiritual mind, a mind beneath the thinking mind, and it is a mind that is outside the influence of any other force of control or manipulation. Uh, it compels remarkable acts of compassion and sacrifice. It, you could say it is our one great strength, and it is the strength that the intervention is not using and does not know about. It allows us to see a situation for what it is. And this is what the allies call for. Because the allies say people want information about contact. But really what they need is perspective and courage to face the truth about what contact is. They say we need a little bit of information, but a lot of perspective and a lot of courage. But what we see in the world is people chasing after information, collecting more theories and associations, names, dates, worlds, entities, all of this stuff, and trying to tie it all together into one picture. When really that's a little immature because we're not going to have a clear picture given what we're facing. And we don't need a fully clear picture to know what the picture is. And here I give the analogy of like, um, you know, we're doing a puzzle. Some of the pieces are missing from the box and you're not going to get them. You're not going to complete this puzzle completely. But it's pretty, it be, after a point, it's obvious. It's a bridge or a mountain. Can you respond to that? And this is where the UFO community has got to take a step. After so many years of studying the phenomenon, what is happening? You know, uh, where is it happening? Who's causing it? What governments are involved? What is happening? Studying it repeatedly. Do we not have enough of the puzzle pieces to know what we're looking at? In essence, to know what is going on, which is an intervention into our world by technological powers that are undermining human freedom and seeding dissent and seeding all sorts of spiritual philosophies about off-planet intelligences and how enlightened they are. Can we not see that for what it is at this stage? You mentioned at the beginning that we have over 100 countries, dozens of cultures, languages. In fact, we, we're just a divided planet. If you and I were to go to another planet, it probably would puzzle us if we saw the same scenario there. Yeah. Is this the vision planned? Is it orchestrated? And could these quote-unquote visitors be behind it? Hmm. Well, what the Allies say is, is that we are an emerging world. We are an adolescent world um, transitioning from tribes to nations, from nations to a one-world community, and that every emerging world goes through this very challenging phase of development, very sensitive and vulnerable to influence from beyond, um, that most emerging worlds deplete their natural environment rendering them um, susceptible to offers of technology and resources from beyond. This is nature, again, playing out. This isn't the scheme of the intervention. Um, you know, it, it really is us. It's, it's the state of humanity. That said, the intervention is promoting many different uh, forces of division within our world. Uh, they're basically using whatever vulnerabilities we present to their advantage. And the world is becoming more unsettled, more unstable. Um, there is a level of divisiveness and confusion uh, that, that is growing in the world. And the intervention is most certainly a part of that. So I don't want to discount that. Um, but, you know, you give the analogy, Mel, of if we were to go to another planet and see how divided it was, you know, that would be dismaying. And, you know, true. And for the allies of humanity, that's what they communicated, which is 
you have a lot of work to do as a native people, and we're not going to involve ourselves with you. How could we involve ourselves with a friendly form of intelligent life? We're not ready to. That's the truth. People don't want to hear that. They want contact to be now. They want it to be everything they want it to be. Uh, and so, you know, we chase after these great, you know, visions of life beyond our world and the possibilities, and we further distance ourselves and denigrate human leadership, human institutions. That's a slippery slope. So there is a there is an indigenous state of division in our world, and then there is a program to influence and, and exacerbate that division to to the benefit of the ET visitors. But I think the lack of discernment when it comes to knowledge of the greater community, better known as space, the universe, if you want to call it, filling the blanks, folks. Mm -hmm. I think it's also because we don't know what's outside of our planet. And if we don't know, we don't know where we come from. We know that the authorities, the, the several departments of education around the world have lied to us about our own history. So if we don't know where we come from, our true history, our present our full potential. How could we discern if we don't know the greater community, if we were to learn what errors, what mistakes they made in their past and what transitions they over, you know, undertook in order to be where they are, wouldn't that be a great first step? Oh, well, beautifully said. I mean, it's so true. We don't know our place. We, we have no context. We, we've been living in isolation, human to human for millennia, And we don't know what we're a part of. And so we are coming out of isolation back into relationship with the greater community. That really is what the allies of humanity represent. They represent a force for relationship. Uh, they have been called to the vicinity of our world by a divine power to bring their experience of life in the universe, their sacrifices, their great work to become free worlds, to contribute that to us, an emerging world. And as you go into the new message from God that Marshall's received, there is a huge teaching on this, of just a new reality, really, about the greater community, what life is like, uh, how races emerge, and, um, and what our destiny really is as participants there. And one very powerful thread in that teaching is about the gifting of wisdom from, from one race to another, that As a race emerges, secures its freedom, becomes a unified people, and actually goes beyond that to cultivate a spiritual awareness, either in small groups or even as a whole world, maybe in rare cases, they have a duty to give that, to gift that awareness to an, a young and emerging world. Not to go save that world, not to intervene, uh, not to uh, become you know, a powerful state and to make the young world a client state, no to gift their awareness, to gift their perspective and empower a young world uh, really to undergo this same track of development in the universe. And that is what is happening through the allies of humanity. You know, we are being given a gift of wisdom from those worlds who have discovered what life really is in the universe and have transcended their own tribal animosities and have reclaimed their freedom, even as they were intervened with, and they were. So there's an amazing story here unfolding about Earth and about our place in our local universe, about our greater destiny to cultivate the spiritual wealth of our world, which is immense, and to give that, to be actually the one giving the gift in 500 years or a thousand years. I'm not sure how far or how long that'll take. So we are a part of a process of uh, awakening and unification and contribution in the universe. And this is really the, the larger theological, cosmological picture presented in the new message and, and to some degree in the Allies' briefings. Let me quote this from the book. The first area of activity of the visitors is to influence individuals in positions of power and authority. Because the visitors do not want to destroy anything in the world or harm the world's resources, They seek to gain influence over those whom they perceive to be in positions of power within government and religion primarily. How are they making contact with these individuals in positions of power, Reed? Good question. Uh, in the political realm, can't say. I'm not sure who those individuals or groups are. Um, the Allies have indicated that there have been some elements 
in especially in Western governments that have resisted the intervention and some that have opened themselves to it. And so there are some there are vying um, there's there's competition even within human circles for how to regard the ET presence and take advantage of it. Uh, in realms of commerce, I think the intervention couples beautifully because they are commercial themselves. They understand the supply chain. They understand how you can control weaker nations or groups by controlling the supply chain and creating dependencies. And so they are most certainly working through certain elements in commerce. Um, what they're doing exactly, I'm not quite sure, but I'm sure we can guess the flavor of it, which is, again, making offers. Wealth, technological power, political power, and then in the realm of religion, spiritual enlightenment. Um, so we have influence in realms of politics. We have influence in realms of commerce. But perhaps most alarming and dangerous down the road is influence in the realm of spirituality and religion. And th this I can say more on um, the intervention is reaching out primarily to two, two, to two groups of people. They're reaching out to those with a fervent religious belief, and they're reaching out to those who are psychic or sensitive in nature. And they're using these two groups of people for two different reasons. Um, those with a fervent belief in a religion or a scripture and a desire to spread that in the world, to overwhelm other religions, even to spread their religion beyond the world. That is a very easy intent to play into. And those promises have been made to certain religious leaders who are receptive that their religion can become the predominant religion. And the intervention may not even be displaying themselves in their true form. They may be coming in the form of a vision or a dream or simply, you know, thoughts, thought forms in the mental environment, influencing those who are religious uh, and there are billions of people who are religious, which is not bad. It just means that they uh, have reverence and devotion towards an unseen force. And now in our midst, we have a new unseen force. It's not just forces of evil and forces of good, you know, in the unseen realm. We have an extraterrestrial presence that can actually be active in the unseen realm. And so they are trying to reach those with a religious uh, fervor because it's so easy to direct and they can direct it towards the destruction of those who may ultimately come to resist the intervention. They can use it to create war between nations. This, and this has happened. And the allies have said that, you know, disenfranchised peoples in the Middle East have been radicalized to pull the United States into conflict because the United States has been uh, a reluctant player, has resisted the intervention to some degree. Uh, and so war can be created through religion. Now, the second group are those who are psychic or have a, a sensitivity of mind. And these individuals, the intervention wants to orient to their collective mind. They want to bring these individuals into the intervention's functioning hierarchy um, because they are the ones who can receive direct communication, who can reach out to others in spiritual circles and, and encourage a kind of pacification of human discernment, keyword, as we were saying earlier, and to foster a blind acceptance. And so these are becoming, you know, this is the, the apologists and the supporters of the intervention. And there are tens of thousands who are in that position, unfortunately, and are being pulled in through psychological, mental influence um, by the intervention. I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a moment, so bear with sure. me. If the visitors make themselves visible to everyone, and let's say they appear as a, an angelic force, angelic beings offering peace and love, and all of a sudden they say, we are your creators. We, we've been watching you for thousands of years. How do we know they're not lying? And what if they portray their arrival as the second coming or the fulfillment of a prophecy? I bet you billions would believe that. Oh, I, I think so, Mel. And the Allies, the new message speaks of this, the dangerous second coming, that the second coming of Jesus will not be a member of the angelic presence. It will be an, uh, an individual from the greater community who has been created, basically bred for that purpose. 
I mean, it's it's unfortunate because this is really a, an, an area of strength for us, which is that we have a spiritual inclination and orientation that you can walk a city in the Middle East and there'll be a thousand minarets calling people to pray to the divine. You know, that is powerful. That is rare in a universe where religion has died out in many ways because the religion of technology and state control has taken over. So we are rich in this regard, even though we don't think we are. We think our religions are are uh, corrupt and a form of top-down control. And true, there's corruption and control, but they are an asset ultimately. But in the interim, in the immediate, they are a weakness because we do not know how to discern a force in the mental environment. And you're very right. If a million people saw a vision of their savior in their mind as, you know, as three-dimensional and, and as real as anything, how would they know not to follow that? And if that individual were to tell them to do certain things, how would they know not to follow that? So to me, this says we have a massive public education effort ahead. People need to learn about the essence of what life in the universe is like, that it is an environment of nature and, and of competition, and that we are facing first contact with intervening forces, and that we must secure the various back doors to our house. You know, the back doors of religion, the back doors of our lack of self-sufficiency and our destruction of the environment. All of these are back doors into our own home. And we have an intruder in our home that knows how to influence our thought and our emotion. So, you know, this is a very real thing. And as you're saying, um, religion opens the door to millions of minds to be influenced by the intervention directly. And, you know, in light of that vulnerability, this is really why the new message from God is here. You know, the creator of all life knew we would hit this threshold as a race eventually. This is an evolutionary mile marker that was destined to come unavoidable. It's not a, a tragedy. It's not the worst thing ever. No, this is evolution. This is our next step. It's not an easy step. It's not, you know, uh, a wonderfully loving step potentially, but it's, it's, it is our real next step. And so the creator knowing that sent a revelation into the world to reveal to humanity what we could not know otherwise to call the allies of humanity into the vicinity of our world to give their perspective, which we could not have otherwise. And, you know, as you said earlier, this is precious information. This is precious context that we can use to discern our true place, both evolutionarily in this world and in our local universe. Because without that, you know, we're running wild. Uh, you know, 99% of people don't know what's happening. And the 1% who do think it's, uh, a form of enlightenment or a form of uh, planetary salvation. And, you know, there are precious few people who really see this for what it is. So this is, this is the kind of education that needs to go around the world. I am of the opinion of against what Dr. Stephen Greer has uh, postulated. I agree with certain things he says, but not that every being that comes here is benevolent. I just have a hard time believing that in the entire, the vast universe, that everyone has good intentions. Because let's say that you and I were part of this leadership and we needed a resource in order to help humanity survive. And there was a planet next door that was inhabited. We wouldn't think twice of going there and taking whatever it is that we need in order to survive. Does that make us bad? Does that make us malevolent? Well, depends on who you ask. Mm -hmm. So I have a hard time sometimes seeing how these benevolent beings are coming here to do just good when they have their interests first, in my opinion. Yeah. No, well, well said. You know, we're, we wouldn't be evil if we did that. And, and I don't view the intervention as specifically evil. They are self-seeking. Um, and here we are, the young world. Uh, we're like we're like an adolescent stepping out of our home in the big city, stepping onto the big street for the first time. No, not everyone in that city is bad. Of course not. There are there are plenty of beneficial forces, but there's a high likelihood that whoever kind of heckles you on the street or comes knocking at the door or barges into the door or finds their way in the back door is not here for our good. 
And this is where we, we have to take a bigger, we have to take, you know, into account a bigger perspective. The universe contains all. It is a vast expression of nature, of both the good and the bad and everything in between. But our first contact is not necessarily an equal and equally weighted expression of that. Our first contact is with those who have come here of their own volition. And like you said, you know, this world, amazing resource biologically in terms of minerals and so forth. And those who are here have made this journey for their own reasons. And we are not asking what those reasons are. We are assuming. We are assuming it's a beneficial intent. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, I would have the same problem believing that everyone here uh, visiting our world is here for good. Now, I, Marshall and I myself have been accused of being highly negative and fear-based, saying that all those in, in our in our world are not are here with a negative intent. Um, and yet, if you step back and look at the phenomenon itself as a whole, it's it becomes quite clear that those in our world are here with a negative intent. You know, they do not represent the good and the bad of the universe. They represent those who've come this distance for their own agenda. And this is why, folks, we have to have some degree of discernment. You have to keep an open mind. But would you leave your door open at night for everyone to come in? Or would you close it and try to look through the hole to find out who they are before you open? I don't think there's anything bad about that. But before we take a break, and by the way, folks, in segment two, I have a lot of questions, primordial questions that have to be answered. And I know that Reed will probably answer those questions. But are these observers, are their interests aligned? Do they come from different places? And are they interacting with these other species who are interacting with us? Great question. Well, the allies of humanity, they represent in addition to those worlds that have re- reclaimed their freedom, preserved and protected their own freedom in a difficult environment, they also represent a force of spiritual awareness and understanding. They say that they are students of what they call the way of knowledge, as it is practiced in the greater community. Now, this is a universal form of spiritual awareness beyond any religion, um, beyond any culture. It centers on the core reality that at the heart of all sentient life is the seed of our divine connection and that this connection is an intelligence. It's actually an intelligent reality within us that can guide us for the benefit of us individually and those we love and our whole world as well. They are students of knowledge and they are calling upon us to be students of knowledge as well. And that's why the Allies of Humanity briefings has come hand in hand with the new message from God which contains a book called Steps to Knowledge and a whole pathway for engaging with this core strength and intelligence within us, which the allies say is really the only way that we will maintain our freedom of thought in a universe of powerful influences that seek to change and alter thought. This is an advanced playing field, and we are new players, unskilled, but at the level of knowledge, we have in uh, immunity. We have complete protection from this intervention, from any intervention, and there could be many interventions in the future. And so the allies know we can't catch up in time technologically. We can't be, you know, gain power in the mental environment in, in a brief period as a world. But they do know that this power of knowledge is active within the people of Earth and powerfully active, actually. We are people of conscience. And that conscience That sense of spiritual connection is our greatest strength, and the allies of humanity represent a force for good in the universe that seeks to amplify that strength uh, and to encourage Native peoples to reclaim that strength and express it in the larger, greater community in which we live. We have to take a break, but before we take the break, let me read to you folks a few questions that I have for part two so you understand how serious this matter is. Here's one. Given the lack of hard evidence, why should people believe what you're telling them about the intervention? Is there adequate adequate evidence to verify that the intervention is occurring? How can people know that the allies of humanity are real? Here's another one. What do you have to say to those who view the intervention 
as a positive thing, and I know there would be millions of those. How can people buy the Allies of Humanity? I know there's, I, I have the first installment here, but I know there, there's more. And how can they get more involved in the process? Oh, certainly. Well, the Allies of Humanity books are free online. This is a message for the world. They're being translated into dozens of languages, also free online. So we, we are we are trying to get this essential communication to as many people as possible in a short period. Um, the Allies call for all those who read their briefings to consider beginning the steps to knowledge, which is a daily practice to strengthen the spiritual mind and bring the thinking mind into deeper contact with that spiritual mind so that we can both safeguard our minds and also tap into the strength and the courage to face this great threshold as a world. Um, so I encourage everyone, uh, Steps to Knowledge is online as well, and there are thousands of people studying it around the world. Uh, we have a worldwide community of people who are preparing for contact. They're actually preparing for a new human life being lived out in this greater community. And that's very exciting. And we have a, a online community site with chat and forum and school and everything that uh, everyone is free to participate in. And you can find that at newmessage.org. And the Allies of Humanity briefings are at alliesofhumanity.org. The stronger we are with knowledge, the more we become a force that opposes intervention and manipulation, and the more we become a force for freedom and integrity for our race. So this seems to me that knowledge and technology and not physical strength are their weapons, but we'll discuss more when we come back. This is Mel Fabregas. I'm here with Reed Summers. Please don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first part of this very important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our material, proceed to the members section or subscribe at VeritasRadio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for MMS, hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, and other great products. Thank you.